is supported by Filling the Well, a new podcast from Arts Midwest created to nourish, provoke, and inspire artists and arts leaders. In this five-part series, hear from creative changemakers as they share their takes on how to shift power dynamics, avoid burnout, build authentic community, share resources, and advocate for support. With each episode, you'll find links to explore these ideas further and act in your community. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or check out artsmidwest.org slash filling the well. Welcome to Nonprofit Lowdown. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Rhea Wong with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, my guest is my friend Patrice Davis, who is the founder of Grants Works Consulting Services. And today we're going to talk about government grants, which I'll be honest, I've always been a little bit scared about, but mm-hmm. Patrice is going to elucidate for us, particularly because there are some new changes and apparently money that's a little more easily accessible. So welcome, Patrice. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to come in and and explain to your listeners some information about the availability of what's been called unprecedented levels of funding. Some nonprofits can certainly look into applying for. Yeah, I love unprecedented levels of funding. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. (laughs) All right, before we jump into it, because I know people are chomping at the bit trying to get that money, but tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and how you got into the government grants game, because I think it's a very special, highly sought after skill set, one that I am not equipped for, but I'm in awe of people like you for whom this Mm -hmm. is like your superpower. Cool, cool. So again, the name is Patrice Davis, uh, founder, managing principal of Grant Sports Consulting. I basically started the company after working as a grant manager, primarily government grants for large and small nonprofits, a research university. And I also worked at the CDC as a public health analyst reviewing grants, grantees reports. And I decided to start the business because I realized that there weren't a lot of, at least at the time, consultants that were offering services around government grants, how to apply for them, how to manage them, how to comply with them. And like a lot of people that fall in the grant space, I did not start out in grants. I always joke that not many people actually go to college to become a grant manager. But I fell into it after working in marketing for a number of years, and I needed something part-time. Nonprofits typically sometimes want part-time folks, so I applied for a part-time position, and I've been in the grant space ever since. Got it. It's so funny how those of us in development say that we just fell into it, or or we could say that it found us. We didn't find it. absolutely. Before we get into the details of the unprecedented Mm -hmm. number of grants that are coming down, tell us a little bit about what we should know in general about government grants because personally speaking when i ran a nonprofit i was scared of government grants i think we got very very little in the way of government grants in the form of council member discretionary funding i never mm-hmm. applied for the city state federal stuff because it just seemed too daunting to me so mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what we should know about government grants especially for the smaller nonprofits absolutely so one of the things to know about government grants is the funding is always available and typically announced on the various city, county, or state government websites. So they're there. A lot of the larger nonprofits are aware of these opportunities. Of course, they have the staff to be on the lookout for these and submit RFPs in time. But things to understand about government grants that, yes, they may require a little bit more in terms of preparing the application, submitting the application. There are all these portals, just as you do with foundation and corporate grants. Then, of course, once you receive it, 
than their reporting requirements. They may be a little bit more frequent. Recently, uh, uniform guidance, uh, basically uniform guidance is a set of policies that folks that received government grants, primarily federally sourced government grants have to follow, basically have limited that reporting to quarterly. But just like with your foundation and corporate grants, they're going to be reporting requirements. They expect that you use those funds specifically for those purposes. So you need to have an accounting system that can basically manage restricted funding. You have to make sure that there is no, what they call commingling of funds. And of course, there are requirements to make sure that you comply with what the regulations and the purposes of the funds are for. The thing that's important to remember is government funds includes, of course, your city government, your county government. And they have different application processes than maybe the federal government, which uses primarily grants.gov. And there are a few other portals for other agencies like research.gov and some others. But those are just some of the things to understand. Yes, there's more to, on the application side. You do still, of course, have to report. You do have to be able to manage those funds properly. And then the great thing about that is they give you an opportunity to leverage additional funding and they add credibility. Other organizations may be more willing to give to your nonprofit if they see, oh, she's been awarded for the last two, not she, the organization's been awarded for the last two or three years by XYZ local government or XYZ federal government. They really do help organizations stand out and of course expand capacity and all the things that one would expect from that larger source of funding. Okay, so here's a very basic 101 question. Mm -hmm. My understanding of government grants was mm -hmm. that they function on a reimbursement basis as opposed to getting the money upfront basis. Is that a correct understanding? And if so, how do smaller nonprofits who may have cash flow issues deal mm -hmm. with that? Great question. So many government grants, not all, but many, and there's a reason for that, do operate on what's called a cost reimbursement basis. So that nonprofit needs to have XYZ capital, X amount of capital available to actually execute the service, provide the program, and then submit a reimbursement request to that government entity and they get reimbursed. Now they're almost all being reimbursed electronically. There was a time when I used to do this many years ago where there was a paper reimbursement and then sometimes we would actually get a check. Not sometimes, we would receive a check from some entities. Now everyone is doing it electronically. That's a cost reimbursement grant. However, I have seen recently through the funding that we're going to talk about later where a government entity that I'm aware of and with a client I currently work with received their $100,000 grant up front. The only thing they have to provide is a report on a monthly basis to justify those expenses. And those expenses better be correct. They better align with what the requirements are. But that was the first time in a long time that I've personally seen an advance payment of these funds. Okay, let's dig into this because this is why the people paid their mission. You say that there is an unprecedented occurrence happening in the federal mm -hmm. grant world. Tell mm -hmm. us about this unprecedented event and how might we benefit from it? Absolutely. So every now and then I'll look at my paper because as a grants manager, I'm all about accuracy and disclaimers. So bear with me. So the American Rescue Plan Act, many of us have heard about the American Rescue Plan Act, and we've all heard the word unprecedented, unprecedented. It truly is unprecedented. It injected $1.9 trillion into the U.S. government, and $1.1 trillion is going to be sort of managed or overseen by different agencies. 
I'm here to speak, I'm not here, but one of the ones I really want to focus on is the Coronavirus State and Local Fiscal Recovery Fund. That's $350 billion. I've also seen $362 billion. That's going to be injected to every eligible state, local, which is city and county, territorial, and tribal government in the country every eligible. And the way they had to do that, they basically had to submit a request to the, the Treasury Department. The Treasury Department reviewed whatever it is that they review. There is actually an allocation method the Treasury Department came up with. And then they basically sent the funds to the local governments. The local governments are now required to determine, okay, how are we going to spend sometimes what turn out to be 25 to 50% of what their normal budget is of this funds, and they need to spend it from what I understand, they need to allocate the spending between now and December 31st, 2024, and then of course spend it in another two years after that, December 31st, 2026. So there are four eligible uses. Again, as a good grants manager, I'm going to look at my details here. There are certain eligible uses for this ARPA funding, which is really important for nonprofits to be aware of. Number one, respond to or mitigate the public health emergency, including through aid to households, small businesses, nonprofits, and industries such as tourism and hospitality. Provide government services affected by revenue reduction resulted from COVID-19. From what I understand, from some papers I've read, I'm constantly reading things by the Brookings Institution and other policy houses on how that's breaking down. Make necessary investments in water, sewer, broadband. And of course, this is in addition to the infrastructure bill that is in the works currently. And of course, provide premium pay to essential employees or grants to their employers. So that is why this is such an important so as long as those local governments are basically allocating those funds within those pretty broad categories, then they're, of course, carrying out the purpose. As long as they do it and they do it in a transparent way, they're basically carrying out the purpose of the funding. I have multiple examples of what's being done, primarily by large county governments, a lot of smaller city county governments. I'm learning through, again, a number of policy papers are really taking their time. They've never had this much amount of money before. They don't know what's the legal route to go about doing this. Should they, how much should they engage their counsel? So there is a lot of things that are happening. Do they have the capacity to administer these funds? So that's why it's really important to understand what your local government is doing. So I've been advising, please Google your county, your city, find out what their plans are in terms of developing a spending plan. And are they seeking input from their local community, like a survey, several of them actually, they have surveys on their websites, they're sharing it via their social media saying, hey, local community, we've got, for example, $27.5 million. What do you think is the best way for us to utilize that? And of course, they provide you with predetermined categories that align with the eligible uses. And then some have already collected the survey data and have actually published the survey data. Others are taking it for a step further. They've already determined, okay, this is what our community wants. This is what the Treasury Department says we can do. Here's an RFA or request for application process. Here's a proposal process that helps us allocate those funds. We've gotten the feedback from our community here. And so this is where nonprofits, small businesses, and other eligible entities can find out what's happening and apply for that funding. And of course, carry out the program or service per the requirement of that local city or, or county government. Okay. Patrice. That was a lot. That was a lot of information. I'm a little, whew. But let me just play back what I thought I heard from you. So Mm -hmm. when did this money come down the pike? Like, is this a relatively new Mm -hmm. thing that Mm -hmm. happened? Yeah. So the American Rescue Plan Act was signed March 11, 2021. It is the sixth coronavirus or COVID-19 relief act. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe five were signed by the previous president. 
ARPA was signed by the current president. And then this funding that I'm talking about, Coronavirus State and Local Fiscal Recovery Fund, let's call it Cecil FERC. <laughs> that started being awarded to local city, county, all the different governments, effective, I believe, in May of 2021. Some governments are trying to figure out what to do with it. Not what to do with it, but they're just really taking their time because they also know there are other fund, there's other federal funding coming for more targeted purposes in the coming months or so. Got it. So what I'm hearing then is we're still in the figuring it out stage, but that each city entity is able to determine their own area of focus, whether it, mm-hmm. like I think I saw some cities are focusing on like the opioid crisis, others are mm-hmm. focusing on arts and culture. So it really just depends on where you are and what your city and state is focused on. Is that correct? That is correct. However, that is definitely correct as long as it's in that four buckets. So I do want to provide some really good examples. I found one this morning as I was making sure I you know, was as prepared as possible for our discussion. Dallas County, Texas literally has a portal on their site right now for nonprofits in that county to submit a proposal using something like a Google form. What's your EIN? Are you 501c3? I mean, I'm just giving you an example of some of the questions. What are the services you provide? What will this funding help you do? How will you be able to expand capacity? It's a one page application, guys. I'm just giving you an example of what one county in the state of Texas is doing. However, I do have, if, if you don't mind me providing two or three examples of what other counties are doing. So for example, LA is doing a lot (laughs) and they received millions, of course, because by the way, they received allocation from the treasury department based on a formula. And that formula is based on that particular county or city government's percentage of the overall U.S. population. So obviously states like New York received a ton, California received a ton. So, and of course, LA is its own government. So they received, and I don't have the total here, but I just want to give you an example. They're going to spend $468 million to end homelessness and expand affordable housing. So if you're in the homelessness space and you're in the city of LLA and you're a nonprofit, you need to find out what's happening there. $15 million to launch an economic mobility initiative. $37 million to connect residents to family sustaining jobs and career pathways. So if you're in the workforce development space, you need to find out what's happening there. Here's the thing that's so important. 70.5 million to grants to support small businesses, entrepreneurs, and nonprofits that have been historically denied access to opportunities. This is all what's happening only in the city of LA. And I haven't even gone through the rest of the allocations that they have planned. Public safety and reduced trauma, $14 million to bridge the digital divide, 16.3 launch a guaranteed basic income program. So that's why this is so huge and everyone keeps calling it unprecedented. Just looking at the city of LA itself really is unprecedented. And so Pima County, Arizona, they're using some of their ARPA funding to expand shelter capacity for domestic violence victims. So if you're in that county and you're a nonprofit that provides services to persons, either as a shelter or other services to persons who have to currently reside in domestic violence, shelter, you can partner, you can find out how to tap into that funding. Fulton County, Georgia, and this is my final example, they use their upper funding for home mortgage assistance for homeowners, assistance to small businesses with less than 30 employees, premium pay raise for all Fulton County employees. They've given funding for summer youth and young adult jobs. So again, if you're a nonprofit that provides services in that space, great opportunity, and arts funding programs and services. And they also have something called a health response, operational stability, and community needs program. So just giving you an example of just three 
counties. Just imagine this across the board and across the United States, including territories and tribal governments. Okay, let's back it up. So what would I Google? So we're, mm-hmm. I'm sitting here in New York City. What would I plug into Google to be like, what is getting funded and how do I get some of that? <laughs> <laughs> so what I would do, so I'm going to answer your question and then a broader answer, because I thought about that as well. So I did Google what's happening in New York. And New York, the state of New York, even months ago, had a really, really great policy or white paper on this, breaking down what they expect to receive and all of that. So I found out, okay, well, what is Bronx doing? What is Queens doing? So I wasn't able to find that yet because I wanted to get some examples across the board, but I know Bronx is getting $275.47 million. Okay. So it's actually borough specific. It's not just borough specific. Yes. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So all y'all out there listening, especially here in New York city, if you're running in multiple boroughs, you may be able to get multiple Mm -hmm. pots of funding. Is that right? Then queen is expected to, or or has already received 437.785 million then $4 billion to New York City. So that's the layers, $12 billion to the right. state, $4 billion to New York City, and then it goes on and on. So are you able to apply for multiple levels of funding? Like, could I apply to New York City and New York State and, like, Queens? Let's say I have a program in Queens. That shouldn't be a problem because each entity is operating, basically creating their own application process and their own allocation method. So if I'm huh. a large non or a nonprofit based in New York and I operate in several boroughs and I know that across the boroughs and maybe even at the state level, addressing homelessness is one of the funding priorities across those entities. I would then find out what are the application processes for each entity or each local government, and then determine whether or not there is a clause that says, well, if you're getting funding from X county, Mm -hmm. you're not eligible to apply. So I would definitely look for those kinds of exclusions and restrictions. Mm -hmm. That's what I would do as a grants manager. But again, that's the interesting thing about that is that each local government gets to determine what their process is going to be. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you may have, in theory, let's just say New York State may have a different focus than the city, which may have a different focus than the borough. Is that right? That may be, except, you know, New York State, they actually had a very interesting, and I I thought I had that listed here. New York State, basically, if you go right now to the New York State American, so basically answer your question. I don't think, I realized I didn't answer your question. Google your city or county name, let's say Erie County American Rescue Plan Act. And then If that county has an updated website and they have information, they've already announced how much funding they received, then you'll find out either this, the following information, how much funding they received. If they've really kept it up to date, they'll let you know, okay, this is our allocation method. This is how we plan on allocating the funds. And if they really, if they want to get community input, they'll actually have a survey on their website or the survey results. And then the really important part is, okay, how does one, how does an entity, how does a nonprofit or a small business or other entity apply for the funding. Yeah. I'm laughing because I know literally everyone in this call right now is frantically Googling. (laughs) (laughs) Patrice, all of us were on the receiving end of that PPP disaster, the first Mm -hmm. go around. Do we Mm -hmm. need to be freaked out about the funds running out? Are we going to be too late? Help us understand how quickly should we be trying to move on this? This is the interesting thing. All of the government's entities that receive the funding, they're going to receive their funding in two tranches they receive their first tranche. The second tranche is from what I understand expected to occur in May of 2022. 
So they haven't even received all of their money. That's number one. Number two, they are expected, and again, as a good grants manager, I must look at paper, I must look at documentation. <laughs> they are expected to expend all of their funds or obligate all of their funds by December 31st of 2024, and then spend it down by December 31st, 2026. So five years which is one of the reasons why some governments are kind of taking their time to make sure number one they do it correctly number two they're waiting for final guidance from the treasury department the treasury department released interim guidance but some are waiting for like final final guidance from what i understand some were burned by some changes in cares act guidance and so to answer your question you've had five years now the ppp was administered by the small business administration and that was specifically for businesses for this funding, you're going directly to your local government and you're applying directly to your local government or state government for that funding. Whew, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but the bottom line here is that there is money available mm-hmm. that looks different than your traditional reimbursement model mm-hmm. and that they have to spend the money. They're looking for ways to spend the money. Yes. And so wherever you are in the country, you mm-hmm. should look at where the money might be in your mm-hmm. particular city, county, state, yes. and see if you're mm-hmm. eligible. Absolutely. The only correction I would make is I don't know if it's all going to be advanced payments. It was just one example that I okay. said. Some okay. may still use the cost reimbursement model. Okay. There is money out there. Is, is There's the, money out there. The bottom yes. line. And they are unable to spend the money because it's so much. Man, I can help well, you I with Well, I would say unable, but they're having a challenge. <laughs> Some of them are experiencing challenges in spending that yeah. funding. We call that champagne problems. <laughs> Tell me about, mm-hmm. as I'm listening, if I'm a small nonprofit, I'm like, okay, cool, Patricia sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. What do I need to think about as a nonprofit to mm-hmm. be grant eligible for these government grants? Mm -hmm. What should I know ahead of time? What should I be prepared for? And I think one of the things personally that always freaked me out about government grants is the administration. Should we be Mm -hmm. thinking about having to hire an extra person just to administer? What should I know going into this? So going into this, there are a couple of things. So because each local government is going to have its own application process, that's going to differ. However, the funding that these governments are awarding It's basically federal funds that are being passed through these local governments to organizations on the ground. So it's federal funding. So the first thing you need to do if you're an organization and you haven't done it yet is you need to register as an entity in SAM.gov, System for Award Management, SAM.gov. Register as an entity, not just establish an account because there's a difference there. And because what SAM is, it's basically something that you're required to do if you want to do any business with the federal government. That's whether it's a grant or contract or anything like that. Number one, you want to make sure you have in order to register for SAM, you've got to have a DUNS number. That's going to go away effective April 2022. But for now, you do need to have a DUNS number. Register as an entity in SAM.gov. You want to make sure that you have, of course, your organization's operating budget, a program budget, just in case for the application they ask you to provide that. We don't know yet what those application requirements are going to be. You want to make sure that you can, of course, expand on number of years you've been in operation. You want to be able to provide really strong details, data supported details about who you serve, how many you serve, how long you've been serving them, any breakdown that you can to strengthen your position or strengthen your proposal. You also want to, of course, have an organizational chart. You want to have your board of directors. These are some of all the basic things that one would need to have to even apply for a foundation or corporate grant. But 
Where the difference comes in is what that government entity may require you to submit. Some government entities, because they are super careful because they're passing through federal dollars, they may have additional documentation requirements. They may want your org chart to verify you really do have 10 people on staff. They may want your annual audit report, your audit financial statements. If you are single audit eligible, they'll want to see that as well. Some may want to see that. Again, because they are trying to allocate, get the funds out the door, and I don't want to make it sound as simple as that, they may not have as many administrative requirements to apply for the funding. And that is another reason why being able to access these funds is now a great opportunity for small nonprofits. Do you have a sense, or maybe it's really specific to each individual Mm -hmm. entity as far as the amount that we could request? Like, is there a percentage of our operating budget? Like, or maybe it depends. Mm -hmm. It depends. For example, County A may say, we want to see your organizational budget and we are restricting or the funding ceiling for XYZ funds may be let's say 50,000 or the funding ceiling may be 100,000. It depends on where you live, depends on what they've determined they want to fund. And it depends on their application. It depends really on how they want to allocate those funds. They may determine that we want to allocate 50% of all of our funding to address homelessness because it's such a problem in our community. They may determine that as in the case of one county that I'm familiar with, based on information I've found, they wanted to basically allocate all of their funding towards sewer improvement, and then nonprofits are out. In that case, sewer, broadband, and I forgot what the other category is, that some governments may decide to use that funding for that purpose and not necessarily for the other three eligible uses that I described earlier. Got it. Okay. Wow. So question for you, and this sounds very complicated. Are you available to help? Uh, like you available to help? Like if I, I'm like, Hey, Patrice, that sounds awesome. Help yes. me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. GrantsWorks is available to help. So there are a couple of things that I have been doing to get our company ready. So number one, uh, I recently hosted a class that is currently available called your shortcut to government funding, local, state, and federal. It is currently available on grantsworksacademy.com. So you can access that. It just gives you the background information you need. And it's, of course, the replay of the training. It's three additional trainings on registering in SAM.gov, because this is important to understand the basics, which you, of course, can come to my company and we can provide those services. But if you wanted to understand government funding, this is a great place to start. So the three additional trainings on registering SAM.gov, understanding your assistance listings, and I explain what that is in the video, and of course, get your documents in order. So it's really four videos in that training, plus you get a workbook, and you get what we call our ultimate grant word book, which is 60 terms. is basically a glossary of all the government grant terms that you may want to know. And so that's one thing that you can easily access currently on grantsworksacademy.com. We can also, of course, provide direct services, conduct some research on what's happening in your county, even further research on what the application process is. We can, of course, support you in writing the grant. And then finally, we can help you, of course, submit that grant to your local county government. So absolutely, we can provide that one-on-one service. But if you really wanted to understand government grant funding as a whole, you can certainly access that training right now. It's on demand and you have your own portal. So you log in, you watch your videos, you take a break, you go back and watch your videos and you have basically lifetime access to that content and you can share it with your team. Okay, so a couple of other questions are coming up for me here and maybe the answer is it depends or maybe the answer is you don't know, but often one of the challenges that I've personally seen with government grants is that they put a cap on what they consider to be administration or overhead. Mm -hmm. Is that true of these grants? 
Yes. Well, I don't know if that's true of these grants, but typically with almost any grant foundation corporate, they really want the bulk of the funds to be used for the program itself. So I have seen administrative expenses capped at 7% at 10%, really between five and 10%, because the idea is 90% of that funding should be used for the intended purpose, which is to house the homeless or help women who um, experience domestic violence or whatever the case may be. I can't say for certain, but I expect that there would be some Actually, I'm going to use the example of my current client in the $100,000 advance payment they received. Yes, there was, I believe, a 5 to 10%, I don't remember if it was 5 or 10% cap on administrative Got expenses. It. So, Got it. Yeah. And again, maybe you don't know, but is there any reason that we would not be eligible for a grant if we accepted, say, PPP money or employee retention tax credits or any other federal program money? Or is it considered a separate entity? It's considered a separate program altogether. I've not seen where one's company's acceptance of PPP funding from the Small Business Administration, a completely separate federal entity, would impact a nonprofit or, or business's ability to apply for and receive this separate funding. Because remember, both are really for COVID relief purposes. One, the PPP was to address, and that is not my specialty, I won't speak on that, but that was to address one set of issues. This American Rescue Plan Act, Cecil for funding, is to address a whole set of other instances. And if, can you imagine if they were to exclude folks that receive PPP, then they really wouldn't be able to have the impact they're planning on having all kind of a patchwork right now and it's all very mm -hmm. confusing i think those of us in the nonprofit field are just trying to keep up here how quickly can we expect funding if we apply and, and are accepted that is one of those it depends on the local government in the instance that where my client received the funding they were notified that they were awarded let's say i'm just using estimates here let's say the beginning of august and by the end of august the funds were in their account Love that. Okay, cool. Because the governments are trying to get the funds out the door. And as long as they do it compliantly and transparently, they're allowed to do that. Okay, great. Question coming in from Jim that is not strictly about nonprofits, but I think it's a good question anyway. And I'm obviously personally sort of interested. So Jim asked, are these grants available for new slash existing for-profits and small and medium businesses? in semi-urban areas slash rural areas. So I think, Jim, to Patrice's point, it would depend on where you are and that local government. But say something about small businesses, Patrice, that's interesting mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, as you pointed out, Rhea, some local governments, city or county governments, and certainly even state governments, have determined that some of this funding should be awarded to local businesses. Again, how they plan on identifying what businesses are eligible, what industries even are eligible, and what the application process is. Those are all the things that are to be determined. And that's why it's really important to monitor your local county government's website. One of the things I really want to point out, which is really hats off to the local newspapers that I think they have really been reporting on this. So the main local newspaper are the ones that I'm finding a lot of the updates on. They're the ones on the local government beat and they're really tracking what's happening because this, again, they understand how big of a deal this is. And so Jim, to answer your question, find out what's happening in your local government and your state government. And certainly also 
find out what's being written by your newspapers, just to keep your eye on that. I do also want to point out something that's really important. There are two organizations that I always track just to get a better understanding. The National Council of State Legislatures, they always have really great white papers on these types of things. So I would definitely look at that. And then a National Association of Counties, similar. Again, they really break down some of this stuff in really simple language for those of us who really want to understand this. As I said before, the state of New York was one of the first states that had one of the best breakdowns of the American Rescue Plan Act funding, specifically the coronavirus state local and fiscal recovery funds. Okay, say that slow one more time so we can make sure we get it. Sure, it's the coronavirus state and local fiscal recovery fund. I do want to point out something here that that is just a part, as I said, of the $1.9 trillion that's been authorized by the America Rescue Plan Act. There is other funding that's going to state and local governments from U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development or from U.S. Department of Education. So. What I just described, the coronavirus state and local fiscal recovery fund, is the funding that's going directly to local governments. There's other funding that is going to be, I don't want to use the word hit in the streets as well, because it's really not as informal as that term may seem. It really still is an application process. And of course, application does not guarantee award. But I just want to make sure that nonprofits are aware of this opportunity. Ultimately, who's the decision maker here? Great question. So it depends on what what the local government has in place. For example, and I know that the city of Milwaukee, I've listened to a couple of recent webinars by the people who are leading this effort at the city of Milwaukee. They basically put staff and resources in place to establish an application process. And of course, some of them may have an evaluation criteria. And then based on that evaluation criteria, then that score will determine whether or not a nonprofit gets the funding. That may not be the case, as in what I explained earlier, one particular county I'm aware of where this particular client applied, received the funding, and, you know, they basically had it in their account a month later. So it depends on that process being used by that by that local government. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Patrice, this has been really informative. I hope everyone who's listening goes and does some research to see if they can get some of this grant money. Where can people find you if they want to learn more information about what you do and if they have any questions? Absolutely. Please visit grantsworks.com. I realize the subject verb agreement is not correct, but it is grants with an S and works with an S.com. You can also go to Grants Works Academy to access those classes I told you about. I also have a free, what I call the ultimate government grant application checklist. It's a really, really great tool. You get it for free. Just enter in your email address. It shows up in another window and you can use that as a really, really great resource to not just prepare for an application, but sort of have a checklist of some of the documents you need to gather over time and save and access as readily as possible for any upcoming grant application. Fantastic. We'll make sure to have all of your information in the show notes for folks who are listening via the podcast. And the funny thing is I actually hosted another webinar on Tuesday about employee retention tax credits. So I am here to try to get y'all money. Go get money. Yes, yes, absolutely. So thanks so much, Patrice. This has been really fun, really informative. And to everyone else, have a good week. Hey, podcast fans. If you like Nonprofit Lowdown, you'll love my new book, Get That Money, Honey, the No BS Guide to Raising Money for Your Nonprofit. If you need a little bit more Rhea in your life, get it. 
In it, I offer my best strategies for fundraising along with the best advice from my podcast guests. Check it out. Get that money, honey, on Amazon or at RiaWong.com. Also, if you purchase before March 24th and send us a copy of your receipt, you'll receive an invitation to a free masterclass on April 8th. Happy reading!